You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, the first 2022 episode of Marketing News Canada for me. I'm Daryl, your host, and I'm really excited today to be joined by Marjorie Asturias, who is the Director of Growth and R&D at Automatic, which is the parent company of WordPress.com, Tumblr, WooCommerce, Jetpack, and other fine software products. In a previous life, Marjorie was a successful marketing agency owner, and she currently resides in Western Colorado alongside of her three dogs, Marianne, Dooley, and Pepper. Marjorie, welcome to Marketing News Canada. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Daryl. I don't know when this is going to air, but regardless, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy to be here. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, and happy Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, in case it is in a couple months. Get all those covered, too. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you got it. Okay, Juneteenth, all the holidays between now and broadcast. That's great. Well, Marjorie, um, I'm so happy to be talking to you again. Um, the last chat we had was really awesome. It's pity that it didn't get recorded, and that's my fault. Um, but I would love for your, the audience to kind of get caught up and, and understand kind of how did you get into marketing? What is Marjorie's origin story, and, and how did you find yourself um, in the position that you are now? Absolutely. So I don't know if this is true for everyone who's on the call because I realize it's a very marketing focused audience, but my experience is that my background is not unusual in marketing in that I did not major in marketing in college. I did not go, I did not grow up anxious to become a marketing executive or growth R&D director, Uh, but I sort of found myself in it because the constellation of skills I have, I gathered is, and my interests Mm -hmm. turns out to be really good for, for marketing. So I had a very diverse background. I've been in energy. I've been in nonprofit fundraising. I've been in academia. Um, so, and but my the longest period I had where I was in one particular industry for the longest time was copywriting and journalism. As a freelance writer and journalist for several years, working for print newspapers, magazines, both locally and around the country. And I think most people are familiar with this trajectory. And that at some point, most of my <laughs> clients. And the print magazines I was working for for were moving to digital. This was in the early to mid-2000s. And I was asked to do more copywriting and editing and advertorials for digital, both both their print and digital properties. And then it was this, oh, we're just going to do digital. So I kind of sort of backed into it. I've been on the internet for for a very long time, but not, not specifically for that. So I started doing more copywriting and blogging and white papers specifically for the online market. And then I was asked, hey, you know, you seem to do really well in this Twitter stuff. Can you also maybe look at our Twitter and this new thing called Facebook? This new thing. Without intending to. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm aging myself. But this new thing called Facebook seems to be gaining traction. Don't know if it's going to work out. but. So without intending to, started exploring that. And I'm a very social person to begin with, so this seemed like a lot of fun. So I started helping clients with managing their Twitter campaigns and learning about digital ads. And before I knew it, I had a very large client base doing things like uh, blogging and newsletter marketing and social media marketing and campaigns and growing a community and zero clients who are you know, largely in the print world. And then I had an agency hmm. and the agency had employees and I loved it. So because it was, you know, it was really exciting. These were the, ex- not that things are not exciting now, but it was really the heyday sort of the frontier of 
companies recognizing that there's this large online universe where their customers are and you never even have, you know, where you can get a lot more data than people just walking in your store and you don't know who they are. The Wild West days on social media. The Wild West days, right, before things got creepy with surveillance and and, and all that. But back then it was really exciting and it still is, Um, but it was all very new. And people were anxious to learn more about it. And, and so it, it was a lot of fun. But I, at some point, I realized that being an entrepreneur and, ha- and having employees and, and growing in this very fast-moving place, was I was not in a place in my life personally where I realized that I wanted to continue being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. If I had been 21, it might have been great. Mm-hmm. I was in my 40s. And I just, you mentioned my dogs earlier. I do a lot of rescue. And I was... Uh, I needed more, needed more time in my life, more work-life balance. And a company that was growing that fast, we were seeing revenue receipts in the six figures and moving towards seven figures, which is really exciting. But I think anyone on this call who's ever grown a business and scaled it really fast recognizes there's an inflection point where you have to make a choice. Am I willing to put even, even more hours that I know is going to be required of me to get to that next level, no matter who you are, because this was not a lifestyle business, or do I want something different? Absolutely. And I chose something different. So I was looking around. I knew that I loved WordPress. We were setting up websites for companies. And I had read a profile of Matt Mullenweg in Inc. Magazine, like in 2011 or 2012, where at the time I thought, whoa, WordPress is a company? Wait, I thought it was just two guys in a basement. So I kept that in the back. I ripped out that article and kind of kept it in my files and thinking, someday if I want to become a, a – uh, an employee, a paid employee with benefits and, and paid vacations, I, I might consider that. So I pulled that out in 2013 and and I realized that, you know, I, I, I want the benefits of having my own business, which is working from home, flexibility and schedule, but the benefit of a paid employee, which is a, you know, paid vacation, mm-hmm. benefits, things mm-hmm. like that. So I'm ready to go into the paid working world again, the salary working world. So I applied it automatic and I started out in the support team called the happiness team and moved into marketing about five years later and that's where i am now thank you for that rich background i got a couple questions at different points of what you said and i think it for more for uh more for my my own personal curiosity here what did you use to blog about on the personal level what were you writing about oh oh my gosh so this was this was the heyday of blogging wordpress the, the software, as everyone knows, is a blogging software. It started out in uh, 2003, mm-hmm. I believe. And I should know this. But, you know, blogging is a rich history dating back to the mid-1990s. Uh, people wanting to just be able to share their... It, it's, it was amazing. I was a journalist for a long time. And I know that there was a time, some of you may remember, when if you wanted to be able to broadcast your thoughts, your, your, your philosophy mm-hmm. about life, you could write a letter to your friends and that was it. Um, and so the idea that you could actually share your experiences and have an immediate audience was a big deal. Absolutely. And so early on, um, most of my blogging, I actually, I love business and I love, obviously I love marketing. But at the time, I didn't think of my blogging as anything more than just a personal expression because I, I used to keep a diary and all that. So if you ever go, please forgive me, my, my blog, my own personal blog dates back to like the, um, the mid-2000s. And a lot of it is just, I didn't blog about what I ate, but probably pretty close. <laughs> you know, just kind of day-to-day stuff. It's a journal. What it was like to run a business. Yeah, yeah it was a journal. It was an online journal. Yeah. Um, what it was like to, to own a business, what it was like to rescue dogs. 
and um, and then eventually I, I have a I'm a francophile. I set up a start. I started sep- uh, creating a, and I'm glad you asked that because actually that kindles up a memory because I I love French culture. I love French literature, movies. You know, I'm I'm very much a romantic in that mm-hmm. sense, and I started a separate blog in I think 2007 that was just on that. And I discovered very quickly this great community. That's how I got on Twitter because I saw there were a lot. There was that was an easy way to find like-minded folks, and somehow. Back then, it was a lot easier because there were only only a million people on Twitter. So it was a tiny village. It was very easy for to be discovered on mm-hmm. Twitter and discover others. And uh, there was a New York Times reporter that saw a comment I made, reached out to me. She was actually writing a larger article about this new thing called blogs and these new communities are building around it. So she interviewed me and I got featured in this article on it. That's when it kind of hit me. It's like, well, this is this is actually turning mainstream into something more than just a, a personal community of, of hobbyists. Yeah. So I love how full circle. It took a while for me to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while for me to get to it, to realize the connection between what I'm doing personally and how this could be used as to amplify voices that might not, or communities that might not have found a bigger audience before. But yeah, this was back in the late, mid to late 2000s. And then now you're director of R&D at a parent company that owns one of the original blogging platforms. So it, that it's an incredible journey in full circle. Another question that I asked, uh, had here out of that initial uh, spiel you gave me around your background is what did you call your agency? Was it something fun or was it like your name, Mar- Marjorie Consultant? You know, what did you call it? Oh, well, so... Uh, Shockingly, people have a very hard time spelling my name. So I knew it wasn't going to be called Marjorie or Asturias. Uh, it's actually, it was called, it was and is called Blue Volcano Media. And I say Blue is because Volcano. the domain still exists. And I still use it as my personal email, even though the company itself no longer exists. Well, now everyone knows how to email you. This is one of our listeners. Oh, dang, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Still out okay, there, Okay, that's yes. great. Um, and then I think the last question I had that's tied to that first, uh, to that first statement you made was, um, you know, you, th- you described an inflection point that a lot of entrepreneurs have to make, uh, what, yeah. whether you move forward or not. And I know that a, a large part of our audience is, is definitely, they're all marketers, but a large part of them are also entrepreneurs, um, consultants, people who may find themselves, uh, whether it's coming up this year or they've been at that point in the past couple of years or months where they've had to decide whether to move forward or not, especially with you know COVID being such a, a heavy decision maker when it comes to um, business and, and whether you want to invest more time, invest more resources into something. Um, that inflection point for you, uh, when you thought about continuing and you thought about pushing pushing past you know all of the challenges and investing more time to solve them, ultimately, what did it come down to you? Was was it was it a lifestyle oriented? Was it looking forward to your future? It probably was a couple things. I, I made the same decision myself to, to be acquired as my agency. And I'm just curious um, for you, that inflection point when you got to it, what was the big, what was the big yes or no question for you? So that's a good question. Um, I had a mentor mm. who guided me from, I think, my second or third year in business. And she had helped launch a lot of businesses. And I, to this day, I remember we had a conversation. She said, a small business, especially if you have a service-oriented business, when you get to, it, there's, there's a lot of work that gets into, say, half a million mm-hmm. in revenue. Mm-hmm. Even more work when you get between half a million to one million. Even more work when you get between one and three mm-hmm. million. And then 
more work until you get to five. And then, she said, when you get to five million, then you can start taking your foot off the gas. I've heard that too. (laughs) And at the time, I was getting close to between, I don't know, I think we were looking at revenues of like 25, 30,000 a month at the time we were. And five million, you can do the math. There's a huge difference between 25, $30,000 a month to five million annual Mm -hmm. revenues. And I remember looking at her and going, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're telling me that all I'm doing now is just an, in, in, is like a, an appetizer. I was going to say appetizer course. What happens in the future? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and that, <laughs> that main course is not going to be delicious. Yeah. Now, it's exciting. There, there's, don't get me wrong. It was really exciting. Mm-hmm. But entrepreneurship is almost never no, – don't let anyone fool you. And you can, I'm sure you can relate. It's almost never a linear process. There's always going to be zigzags, bumps in the road. There's going to be times when you're going to be crying. You're going to be wondering, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing yeah. this? Most times. It's and most I times have crying. Most yeah. times, yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's, it is worth the effort if it's something that you really want to do and you're passionate about. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't think that I'm telling people that you, this is not worth the path. For, for my personal decision, it came down to the fact that in one year, I ended up in the emergency room three times. Oh, my goodness. And I am not the kind of person who gets sick a lot. So that, you know, and you'd think the first time should have been a clue, right? But it took three times. (laughs) Um, Thankfully, this was not during COVID times. But the third time when it was, it was a possible, we thought it might have been a cardiac issue, but it wasn't. Um, That's when it was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. I'm not a religious person. I'm not someone who says, well, there's a sign. But it felt like if there is... If there are symbols and signs out there, the universe is hammering it home into my yeah. head. And that's when I started thinking, okay, I was already at the point where I was having doubts about whether or not I wanted to move. I wanted to move into the, the main course part of, of running a business. And uh, it was pretty clear to me that um, for me personally and for my family, uh, I was ready to let yeah. it go and move into something else. And it's okay. It's okay to give up. Sometimes the best decision you can make is giving yeah. up. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even say it's giving up. i say it's a chapter, right? It's a chapter. You're closing yeah. a chapter and you're opening a new one. And, and that's really astute observations. Um, and thank you for sharing that. That's that's extremely personal. I appreciate that. Resonates a lot with me. Um, I found myself in the hospital uh, in, in the recent years suffering from vertigo out of all things, but it was like stress-induced and oh, I've wow. never suffered from that before. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, the the second time it happened, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, there's always there's always something you can learn from it, right? I mean, um, uh, you we were talking earlier before the call that you you come from uh, you have Chinese ancestry, mm-hmm. and and I don't know if we ever interpret this right, but you know how they say that uh, that, that the Chinese that the Chinese character for crisis also means opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to think of that crisis as also turning it into an opportunity because now my specific role at Automatic has me dealing every day with small business owners and having been that person myself i have a special place in my heart for us for small business owners because i i've walked in their path um and i i want i'm not on the other side where i can actually try to help absolutely them, um, move forward with whatever their goals well that's are. a perfect transition line thank you for that was i wanted to talk about um you shared with me previously that uh you've been focused on um expanding uh the technology and product lines into southeast asia which is a massive task um you know, WordPress is, is we know it as one of the dominant uh, platforms here in North America. Uh, but when it comes to Southeast Asia, 
there is no dominant player. I would love to hear hear you talk about you know how has this 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 whole area been approached when it comes to similar products in the past, and what are you excited about when you when you are looking to expand your product lines there. So that's really interesting, given that the everything that's happened in the last two years. Uh, my last business trip for Automatic was in February, the last week in February of 2020. And I was in Singapore with one of my colleagues, with my lead. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Singapore, for, for most of you are familiar with, because you know Vancouver... Um, where you are, you, that's a that's a major Pacific hub. So I imagine a lot of the folks in the audience are very familiar with how influential the trans-Pacific relationships uh-huh. are. And Singapore is a is a user-friendly hub for business hub for Westerners who want to learn more about Southeast Asia. I grew up in the Philippines, um, and I and I see Singapore as being kind of like Manila but cleaner and a little bit more organized. So. The purpose of our going there was mostly fact-finding. I wanted to learn, even though I grew up in Southeast Asia, it's very easy to think that you know Asia because you, you grew up there or whatever, but um, it, it's, it had been a while, and things changed in Asia much quicker than they do here for a number of reasons. And I also knew that every single country has evolved differently across Southeast Asia. It's a very wide swath of cultures and and economies 
and governments. And so Singapore seemed like a pretty good easy way because it is the crossroads of that region. If I can figure out what the pulse is, I just want to know, let's go to Singapore for a week. So we did. And we met with large companies that are, are household names in Southeast Asia, like Grab, Lazada, Carousel, that may not be familiar with Americans, but y'all, y'all should know about these companies. I just wrote them down. They're, they're going to be, <laughs> yeah, they're, Grab especially, uh, I believe they're a publicly traded company, I want to say in the NASDAQ, um, but imagine Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, eBay, and Etsy in one company. Oh, and Uber. That is grab and Netflix. I'm telling you. So, so this is WeChat. They have <laughs> it's, it's, it's WeChat. Kinda, yeah. yeah, kinda. So, so we met with some with our counterparts there. Now, remember that I said this was February 2020. Mm-hmm. Two days after I came back to the U.S., the entire world mm-hmm. shut down. So, you know, travel was it was halted. So, uh, we are just starting to re re-engage with that particular audience but I but I do think that anything we learned in February I think there's always the caveat of but COVID um, because as you as you know as you're very familiar given you're familiar with that region um, Hong Kong is basically shutting off their economy to the mm-hmm. world and Singapore is struggling to come back the Philippines has been under lockdown coming back from lockdown um, and people are, Southeast Asia got on the internet, got on e-commerce, got on um, instant messaging on the, on the um, online long before North America ever did. So they had mm-hmm. kind of have a head start. And so things got accelerated in 2020 and 2021 because then everything else moved online. Um, but I don't know. I mean, personally, I actually don't know how COVID has affected the regions in terms of commerce and communication. Um, and so I'm, I'm anxious to go back and learn how that's things, how things have changed. Um, but I, at this point, I don't think we can make any easy predictions because COVID has upended so Absolutely. much. COVID's been, <laughs> COVID's been a consistent in everyone's life. Yeah. Um, it's got me thinking um, when you're talking about your experience there and you're seeing these platforms like Grab, Lasada, Carousel. Um, have you in your time, uh, both in your position now, but also... Uh, you know, coming from your personal history within social media and, and working and engaging with technology, in your observations, would you say that there is a fundamental difference or are there fundamental differences you notice in the way that um, communities and people from Southeast Asia or Asia engage with technology and apps versus a North American audience? Is there Are there different values or are there different types of conveniences that they're looking for that when you you know, when you look at how you engage with apps in Western Colorado, what's a big difference? So that's a really good question. One thing that, uh, so I was in the Philippines for two weeks in November. Mm-hmm. Um, unintentionally, we had a family emergency, so I, I went oh, back there. And, oh, thank you. Um, everything turned out okay. Great. But it was um, not, so at the time, it was very, it was under, we were, they were just starting to come out of lockdown. They were, they had just removed the face mask or sorry, the um, face shield requirements. Um, one thing that I noticed that, that is very different from the U S and uh, I would imagine in Canada as well is that, and I, and, and I'm hoping that I'm not, but I'm not talking about something that you already already don't know. But every time I talk to folks here in the U.S., it's always like Asia is just this mysterious continent that um, that is like a frontier, but it's not a frontier. 
everyone is on their mobile mm-hmm. phone. Every single person, everything is done on their mobile mm-hmm. phone. And at least with our company, for example, much of our company, and when I say our company, I mean talking about automatic, so much of, and I would imagine other software companies as well, so much is still about desktop first. So much is still about the desktop experience. Again, I can only talk about our company, but we are pivoting, trying to pivot as quickly as possible to being mobile first, but we're not there mm-hmm. yet. We're still working on it. To me, um, that is not about innovating. To me, that's about catching up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's understandable because if you spend any time in Southeast Asia, um, there are a lot of infrastructure challenges that pe- we don't think about when it comes to technology because we think of things like power lines and telephone lines as being old technology. Mm-hmm. And it is, but but because it's, it's, um, it's a technology that took a long time to take root in Southeast Asia, especially like the Philippines, which is a large con- country of over 120 million people. Everything from natural disasters to let's say let's call it corruption um, resulted in in a very poor infrastructure that meant that only one out of every hundred people created a phone mm. line. This was in the eighties and nineties. My family that was middle class never got a phone line what? ever because you you ask you re- request a phone line and you're put on a waiting list that could be ten years long. <laughs> so imagine now you know. Back then in the 90s, you're thinking, well, that's just so backwards. But then imagine what happens when you don't need those landlines anymore, when everything is happening over the air. What does that mean? It means they got to mobile before we did. Because these companies realized, we're gonna, are we going to invest in billions of dollars in burying phone lines underground that's going to require massive upheaval in, in um, traffic mm-hmm. and, and, and con- construction? Or these over-the-air waves? They can do that really yeah. quickly. So my people were on mobile in the early 90s when we were still trying to figure out, you know, is the desktop a consumer product? <laughs> so <laughs> so mobile now is everything in Southeast Asia. They pay things on it. They connect with their, cl- with their customers on it. Um, you can, uh, right now, you know, everyone's really excited about the fact that you can order food on your mobile mm-hmm. phone. When I was there, I was I, I had my I had my phone with me. I, I brought my my uh, Pixel phone and have Google Fi, so I had data while I was there, but I didn't have local data, and I needed to order. I wanted to order something online from someone, and I realized, oh wait, I I can't use Grab because Grab is local, and so I was messaging the 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 buyer, and she said, oh well, I'll just have it um I'll have it couriered to you. I'm like, you'll have it couriered to me? She said, yeah, you have Grab, right? I'm like, yeah, but I can't pay you with Grab. It's like, oh, um, I'll courier it to you. Grab is now a courier for even small business owners. No way. That will, um, that will courier anything from food to stationery to pens to, yeah, anything. Wow. It's now a courier service as well. That doesn't exist where I am. Anything you want done, facilitated, it's just a phone call away on your mobile device. Yeah, um, that's that's when when earlier when i made reference to that's like wechat when you were talking about grab lasada and yeah. carousel the way that i meant that is the way you're describing all of these things now which is you can do everything within your mobile device never leave one or two platforms and be able to yeah. essentially merge every single one of my uh personal apps into one uh, on my iphone which is incredible um People, it's really interesting because people often, you know, they make the, you know, as a Canadian, don't don't take this the wrong way, but as a Canadian, you know, often joke is we, we joke about that Americans want convenience over everything and they want, the, sure. you know, they yeah. want 
things now, right away. Amazon Prime, right now, right now. You know, I think Ronnie Cheng has a really funny bit on that. Uh, he's a stand-up, uh, stand-up and comedic actor. Um, but in reality, we're just catching up. North America is catching yeah. up. The convenience aspect of your mobile phone has been, uh, it's been exactly what you're describing. They've been ahead of it for decades. So it's it's really exciting to see, I think, the opportunities from your perspective, as well as understand that um, as businesses working in tech and innovation, we only need to look towards uh, to Asia and see what has been adopted there to be able to get you know some inspiration, some insight into what the audience and what communities like to partake in and engage in. Yeah, I think that's um, if if I could, and I and I realize it was kind of rambling a little bit, but if I could bring something to the table re- related to that, it's it's that one of the biggest, I think, the biggest challenge that. U.S.-based, Western-based companies have in coming to Southeast Asia, and you'd think that after two, three hundred years of colonization and, and um, expansion, we would have learned this by now, is that Asian, um, you can't bring your preconceived notions about what it's like to market to, a, to the audience, like, well, this is how we've done run commercials, and this is how we've done Facebook ads, and come back to go to, to, go to Asia and go, well, we're just going to mm-hmm. do the same thing. We're just going to slap on an Asian face to it, or, you know, um, localize the language. You, you need to get rid of that playbook. And I think I think companies understand that because when I when I when we were looking at Indonesia, we were looking at the Philippines thing, we were researching who is the dominant space there in um, website development. There isn't one. You know, no one here, WordPress and some of our competitors are familiar with, you know, most people are familiar with that, their household names. There, they're kind of household names, but more that those are those are companies that, you know, that do X, Y, and Z, but there's mm-hmm. not one that really dominates the marketplace. And so I don't have the answer to this, but one of the things I was thinking about recently is that maybe there's a reason there's no answer to it. Do people, and, and one of them could be the uncomfortable question of, do people actually want what we're selling them? Because what is dominant there are when a small business owner who wants to sell their, you know, their fish or someone who has a restaurant, like they mm-hmm. have a small cart or something that's selling ice cream. When, some, when, when, when someone's here in the U.S. and they, they have a, a food truck, we say, oh, build a WordPress website. You can create one for free. And we have all these SEO benefits, blah, blah, blah. And here's, you, here's what you can do. Over there, there are already platforms in place like Lazada, um, like, and I, and I wish I could remember, there's one in particular in, in, in Indonesia that everyone is on, kind of like an Etsy, but it takes minutes to set up. There's not a whole lot of customizations, um, but the great thing is it has, the, it has network effects that for good or ill, having your own website doesn't mm-hmm. have. And so we're kind of up against existing properties that don't have all the bells and whistles that WordPress or our websites have. But, you know, the painful question is, are they asking for these bells and mm-hmm. whistles? Because really, they just want to find their audience. They're already doing mm-hmm. that here. So how can we move into this market, gain a foothold, knowing that we're up against these local names, local companies? And that's not even, that's not even addressing, you know, regulatory issues. Like in certain places, you have to have a, an actual business legal presence in order to, to do business there. So there's, I think that is... My, I think the reason why there's no dominant name is not that GoDaddy and the others or Automatic don't want to be there. It's just that we're still not sure what the approach is. And COVID kind of 
um, postponed a lot of that because, you know, companies and economies yeah. shut down. It, it, it's almost overwhelming to think about what it would take to go in as a marketer to go in and yeah. understand a brand new audience outside the English speaking language, growing up on technology and apps that you haven't been a part of and being able to figure out a way of marketing your product and service to them that resonates. It makes me think as, as a marketer too, and, and similar to you as someone who has started and run their own agency in the past, you know, what do they, what does the agency climate and ecosystem look like in places in Southeast Asia? You know, I haven't met one single agency owner in there and I'd be really you know, interested to meet one and understand how they've been able to carve out a you know, piece for themselves and be able to market to the audience. Um, I want to be respectful of your time today, Marjorie. I do have one one final question, um, a much lighter one. Uh, not talking okay. about geopolitical climates and uh, inflection points of That's for the next podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This is a question that I asked you last time, and you needed more time to think about, and you didn't, you weren't able to give me an answer. So I've broadened the the, the question a little bit. Um, okay. Since obviously we've been in COVID, a lot of streaming series have come out and a lot of a lot of let's call it downtime has happened at home where you're able to watch more shows i would love to hear what are your favorite top three streaming series in no particular order they don't have to be live right now they could be you know an old one like the office from the past you know what are your top three series uh marjorie that you would recommend people watch or just you know you want to share with the audience that they are your favorites. Okay. Well, um, I, I've shared this before, but um, I will I'll, I'll mention it again that, uh, and I think, you know, knowledge work is so brain intensive that I, I when I'm, then I love to read and I love, I love don't get me wrong, love, I'm not one of those folks, God bless y'all, but I'm not one of those folks who say, well, I don't watch TV. I do watch <laughs> TV. Um, but um, I tend not to gravitate towards new shows because they do require ongoing commitments to, you know, even binge watching takes a lot mm -hmm. of time because you get, I get really invested in characters. If it's a really good mm -hmm. show, I get really invested and then it's two in the morning. Um, and I realize for some people that's amazing, but my husband, for example, is really into the expanse oh. and he thinks I would love it Amazon because Prime. I, he, he, kno yeah, he knows I love Battlestar Galactica and he's like, it's, it's even better. But it's now in its fifth season. And so that actually is a detriment to me because it's like, oh, that's going to be a lot of investment that I just don't have time that's to do. That's two weeks of hard work. So, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And so, and it's so, I, I will say that, um, I guess if I have to, I'll say my husband thinks The Expanse is great. So maybe that's one recommendation. But so since you and I chatted, there was a, there was actually a, a streaming series that was, is this two series we've started that I've gotten into. Um, and I only, I don't binge watch it. We watch it like one episode a week. So that's a little bit more doable for me. The first one I will totally rep. It's called Trese, T-R-E-S-E. And the reason yes. why it bubbled up to me is because it is on Netflix and it is um, an anime based on a Filipino manga, a horror manga. Oh my God. A lot. Of, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's in, you can listen to it in English. You can listen to it in, in, in the original dialogue. But it's um, it's really unusual because it's a manga that's coming out of the Philippines and instead of Japan, although it has a lot of this, it has sort of the stylized Japanese style of manga, but with local touches. 
a lot of folks don't know that there's actually for decades there's been a thriving comic book community in the Philippines. I no, love comic books when I was growing up in the Philippines. A lot of the um, since the internet came along and there's a lot of free content, it sort of decimated the local comic book industry in the Philippines. Um, but they have found a lot of these illustrators and artists have found new life um, working for Western companies like Disney um, and Marvel, DC Comics, because they're so gifted mm -hmm. and talented. Trece is the first um, manga movie that's gone mainstream or manga uh, streaming series. I think their season one is out now. I think there's a question about season two, but I'd, I'd encourage it. And also because it uses old horror stories that I grew up with and putting them in manga. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's, I remember Philippines is a very superstitious country. So there's a lot of these ghost stories that are, that every Filipino kid knows. So if you're Filipino or have that background, this will be familiar mm -hmm. to you. Um, and to see it on, on Netflix is kind of cool. The other one is, I was a huge fan, or I am a huge fan of the Pacific Rim mm -hmm. movie. Not the second one. The second one, you can forget that Like happened. with the kaiju First movie was and... Yeah, okay. Yes, the kaiju elbow yeah, rockets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> love like the that. first one a lot. The first one was amazing. I mean, Guillermo del Toro really elevated the, you know, the, the monster yeah. movie. They're, they have a new series, as you're probably familiar, Pacific Rim, um, The yeah. Black. In, and uh, that one is that we've started doing that. And it's, it's very, it's uh, still has the kaiju, still has the monsters, um, but whole new characters, and it's just very, it's just really interesting. And I think there's a second season coming up. As That's well. amazing. I'm seeing a trend in these series, which I love because I'm a big, a, a big fan of sci-fi, a big fan of yeah. uh, animation. Um, well, and who doesn't like battle bots? I mean, that's not a theme. That's just the last one there, but. <laughs> It's been, <laughs> yeah, you know, Transformers, yeah. Gundam, like it's it's just it's it's something that has been in part of my life for a long time too. I would recommend if I can and do I, yeah. um, a series called yeah. Arcane, and it's being it's released by. It just came out in November. It unseated Squid Game as the most viewed series in the world, okay. and it's done by uh, Riot Games, and it's a uh, it's a series on League of Legends around two characters, two female characters. And the animation style Wait. is very similar to yeah. Into the Spider-Verse. Beautiful art, amazing music, um, really awesome series. Okay, can you spell that? Is it just A-R-C-A-N-E? A-R-C-A-N-E. Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. Take and a that. little self-plug, we helped develop the social strategy to launch the show. So. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm always I'm always happy to support friends' yeah, work. Yeah, so, no, I appreciate yeah. that. And and Marjorie, thank you so much for your time again. Um, I learn more and more every single time I get to talk to you. Um, I think our audience uh, will, would agree with me as well. And it's really really awesome to hear about your unique background, your your even your even more unique uh, introduction into the marketing and technology world, and and your reflection uh, and your advice and insights that you're giving. So thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure talk, chatting with you, Daryl. Always, I'm looking forward to hearing the broadcast and looking forward to our next conversation because I feel like this is just one one piece of an ongoing. Absolutely, I'm going so, to do a series. Daryl and Marjorie. Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Yeah, new <laughs> podcast. Okay, Marjorie. Watch the space. <laughs> Have a good week. Thank you so much. Thanks you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.